Um, we are, today we're in the final week of our series, Should I Quit My Job? And you probably realize by now in the series that we don't have a magic eight ball answer to that question if you were thinking about your work. And so we have been asking this question, and the reality we've been asking this question together is because many of you have been asking this question yourself when it comes to your work. Because the reality is in our current cultural context, there are so many challenges and changes when it comes to work that, that we are required and forced to wrestle with how do we think about our own jobs? How do we think about the workplace? Because of things like the te technology and how it is advancing, because of the demands on workers, because of things like the lack of staffing or a rising cost of college education, it is getting more and more difficult to do the work that we want to do. And so because of that, many of us ask hard questions about our work. Like, is this actually worth it? Is it worth all the pain? Is it worth the trouble? Is this actually what God wants me to do? Is this worth it? Do I like doing this? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Should I quit? Should I do something else? Now, there are a couple important ideas that we've unpacked so far. If you haven't um, heard the other messages in this series, I encourage you, you can watch recaps online or you can go back and watch the whole thing. The first week in the series, we were reminded of this, that work is a gift, not a curse. Now, this is important because in the ancient Near East, according to ancient Near Eastern creation myths, the way that work was actually come, come into existence was that the gods wanted to offload their work to human savages. And so humanity was created by the gods in order to get rid of work. The Christian story, however, in Genesis 1 and 2, what we see is God actually creates humanity in his own image. And he makes male and female in the image of God, and he gives them work to do. That happens before sin is ever a part of the picture. And God gives that to him because work is important. Work is meaningful. Work is significant. And so human beings are creators and designers and parents and teachers and gardeners and farmers and engineers, all because God himself is a bit of all of those things. And because work is a gift. It is something that we are meant to do, that we are meant to spend time with, to wrestle with, that we don't run away from work, that is actually a good thing. Last week, we spent time being reminded that work is worship, not worth. And so if work, when we see work as, as a curse, we run away from work. But this, this challenge is if we see work as our worth, we actually give too much of our life to our work. And so the challenge with this perspective is that most of our world is driven by finding worth primarily in the things that you do. That we don't tend to operate thinking on, based on who we are. We tend to ask the question, well, what do you do? And so we find our worth based on the kind of parent you are, the kind of job you have, or the school you go to. We, we look at our performance in a number of different areas in order to feel like we have a sense of worth or value. And when we have that perspective, when we are trying to find our worth in our work, we will work harder, we will work hard and more hours, and your employer will actually celebrate it. But the question is, are we trying to find value in doing those things or do we find our value from somewhere else? Particularly, do we find our value from Jesus? So instead of building a name for ourselves, do we listen to the name that Jesus gives us? Now today I want to think about work from a perspective of how we understand the relationship between work and rest. 
Now, all of us understand there is a connection between work and rest. We, we think about days off and vacations and all of those things. Several weeks ago, I shared about a spiritual practice called the Sabbath. Um, today, I want to build on that specifically by understanding how does that relate to the work that God calls us to do. See, I believe a huge part of why the great resignation is happening is because we don't understand the proper relationship between work and rest. Because if we properly understood how God created rest, we would better understand who we are. We would better understand the work that God calls us to do. We would better understand the role and the place work has to play in our life. And so today, we need to understand that rest is an act of resistance. And because rest is resistance, that means you will experience tension in it. You will not always be supported in resting But rest itself is resistance. When you know how to rest, it will help you resist your desire to run away from the work. When you know how to rest, it will prevent you from seeking your worth in your work. When you know how to rest, it will help you see what's good about your work. When you know how to rest, it will help you know what's bad in the work and separate yourself and your own identity and value from those things. Resting is an act of resistance that allows us to put our well-being before our performance. To put our identity before our hustle to put our our gifting before our title. Now the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6 writes some things to the church in Galatia that I want to read just a couple verses for you. Now the Apostle Paul wrote a number of letters that we have all in the New Testament. And these letters would go to different churches and then those churches would share them with other churches. And so this particular letter is written to, to followers of Jesus as they're trying to live out their faith and as they're trying to do good for each other and their community. And so I want to read these two verses And then talk about how that applies to our own understanding of work and rest. Verse 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, a couple things here. As Paul writes this, he's writing to a community of believers. And so that's why he kind of makes that note at the end. It's not like, well, do good to Christians. He, he means do good to all people. But when they're all in the same room, he's saying, well, if you're going to start anywhere, you should at least be able to do good to the people who are sitting next to you. You should be able to do good to your family, to your people, to your community. And so he shares these words, and he's speaking in Galatians about how to be in relationship with one another, how to love one another, how to reconcile relationships in the midst of sin. And it's in that context Paul encourages them to care for one another and to carry each other's burdens. He then shifts and uses a metaphor using the language of sowing and reaping. We hear a bit of that in these two verses in 9 and 10. But he also uses this phrase a few verses earlier when he talks about two different versions of sowing. He calls one sowing to his own flesh and the other he calls sowing to the spirit. And sowing to his own flesh would be the idea that when we are, when we are living our life that we are ultimately serving ourselves. When we understand work, we talked about work as an act of service. Well, sowing to the flesh in our work would mean our, the primary person we are serving in our work is ourselves. That would be us sowing to the flesh because it's ultimately then about our own desires. It's about our own needs, our own wants. We aren't thinking about what, does, what is good for my community or what is good for my family. It's purely about my own selfish desires. Paul contrasts that, though, with a sowing to the Spirit. 
In other words, there's a way, he says, that living life, there's a way of doing your work that is actually simply living and seeking to be faithful to Jesus. That sometimes that requires sacrifice. Sometimes that requires humility. Sometimes that requires stopping. So Paul talks about sowing then to the Spirit. And it's in that context of sowing to the Spirit, being faithful to Jesus in order to do what is right and good to people, then that Paul says the phrase, let us not grow weary in doing good. Now this is really important that Paul says these words, let us not grow weary in doing good, because he wouldn't say that if we weren't, wouldn't tend to get weary in those things. He says, let us not grow weary in doing good because doing good is tiring. Because it's exhausting. Paul has no question that in time there will be a sense that we get tired of doing the right thing. Paul has no question that doing the right thing will be tiring, that it'll be hard. The work of faithfulness, the work of walking with integrity, the work of going to your job, the work of loving your neighbor, the work of loving your family is exhausting. But Paul's encouragement, Paul's encouragement when he says, let us not become weary in doing good, the encouragement, and he gives a why behind it. He says, the reason I want you to do this is because at the proper time we will reap a harvest. In other words, it's worth it because you will see the fruit of the good you're trying to do. He said, yes, you need to not grow weary. Yes, you're trying to do good. Yes, it's tiring. Yes, it's exhausting. But he says, in the end, it will be worth it. It will have an impact. You'll see the fruit of the Spirit. You'll see love went out. You'll see the joy extend to people who need joy. You'll see the peace and how that passes on to people. You'll see all of these things. You'll see the impact of that. And so the question, though, if, if it is indeed worth it, if Paul is encouraging us to not grow weary of doing good, how then do we not grow weary in doing good? How do we love in a sustainable way? What is the solution to not growing weary? Because Paul doesn't seem to indicate that here. And this is important for you to understand about your work. Do you realize you could do really good work in a way that robs yourself of the impact you could have? The habits of your life could actually rob you of the impact in really good work. Because maybe if you're not emotionally healthy, maybe if you're not spending time in the presence of Jesus, although the thing you're doing is a good thing, apart from Jesus, it's not going to have the fruit it could have. And so, yeah, you could be doing the work of parenting and you could be working really, really hard at it. But apart from Jesus, you are robbing yourself of the impact it could have. You could be in your workplace. You could be the best boss there is. And if you do that really, really well, apart from Jesus, you're actually robbing yourself of the impact you could have, the fruit it could have in your work. And so my question for us then is how does rest fit into the equation of our lives? What is the relationship between rest and work? There's a pendulum of sorts that you can exist on, a pendulum that swings back and forth. At times, we are on a healthy side where we have healthy rhythms of rest and work. And then often, we find ourselves on the other end where we are living an unhealthy rhythm, an unsustainable pace where eventually we're forced to deal with it. On one hand is the idea that we work for rest, 
that would be an unhealthy perspective of work and rest. That is the, generally the perspective of that you work so that eventually you can have a vacation. Right? This is the attitude of like, I've got a vacation in a, in a few weeks, so I'm just going to crush it. I'm going to keep going, but in a few weeks, I've got vacation. It's coming. And the reason we always say that is we need vacation now, and we're trying to make it a few more weeks. Right? You all, vacation's never soon enough. And so this perspective, though, of working for rest is the idea of we work and we work until eventually we're forced to deal with we can't do anything else. And so then we finally stop. Then we take a break. Then we rest. Then we're with the family. It's the same same idea of, like, I work for the weekend. It's I work, I work, I work, just so, like, I, once I get to Friday at four, like, then, then I can live my life. The problem of this is it misunderstands the way God created work. Because if this is your perspective, if you are working in order to rest, that also means you're trying to run away from the work, doesn't it? It means that the work in and of itself you see as bad. That means you're trying to get away from the work that you... And so maybe you're working for the weekend or your early retirement or that vacation that's coming up. But if work's a gift and not the curse, the end goal isn't actually avoiding the work. The other thing it misses, though, is that rest isn't meant to be an occasional thing. Rest is meant to happen in a rhythm. And so this perspective of working for rest waits till our bodies feel the need. The problem is most of us have taught our bodies to not recognize when we need it. When God created the heavens and the earth, he created it with a rhythm of six and one, six and one, six and one. There is a rhythm even to the phrasing in the scriptures because God designed it that way. And many of us, when we have this perspective, we are imitating the devil more than we are imitating Jesus. The devil doesn't take a day off, but Jesus does. And so the question is, who are you going to imitate? Who are you going to build your habits imitating and anybody, any sport, anybody who's trained for a marathon, anybody who's done weight training, anybody who's trained for football or basketball or soccer knows that just as important as the work is, they know the rest is important. In fact, in fact, many trainers are studying at the professional level now that the amount of hours that an athlete puts into something like the NBA, they're seeing that perhaps some of these star athletes need to take more games off. The problem is the entertainment of the NBA wouldn't want that because when people show up, they want to see LeBron James play. But if LeBron James needs rest in order to be a better athlete, he is going to prioritize rest. And so more and more people are learning that in order to grow and be stronger as an athlete, you need to rest better. If you are going to train every single day for a marathon, you're not going to be able to run a marathon. You have to actually train and also rest in order to train for the marathon. In order to rebuild your muscles, you need to work them, but you also need to allow for them to recover. And so this other end of the, of the pendulum, this healthy perspective of working from a place of rest, happens when we both work hard and rest hard. Both are what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we do the work. And the work's hard, and the work's tiring, but the work is good. God's called us to do the work. But just as hard as we work, we rest really hard because God invites us into that rest. And so we, we rest hard because it takes work to rest. It takes a prioritizing your schedule. It, it takes planning. It takes preparation so that you might be able to orient your life in such a way that some days you don't check your email. 
That some days you just don't have to respond to the text. Now, on this end of the pendulum, this idea of working out of rest, what that means is rest actually becomes the foundation, the source of the strength for the work. And so instead of trying to endure until you work, if you begin with rest and you work from that place, you're actually relying on the strength and power of Jesus to then carry you into the hard work. John in chapter 15 says it this way. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, Jesus is saying the fruit, the fruit you want to see in your work, the fruit you want to see in your family, the fruit you want to see in your neighborhood, in your community, in your church, that begins by abiding in Jesus, by being in the presence of Jesus. See, when we understand that, it shifts where we start. We don't start the week with work and then end with rest. We start with rest and in the presence of Jesus. And that carries us into our work. It changes the way we think about those things. And when we understand that work gets its source of strength and rest, that shifts us to where do we put the priorities? Where do we put the time? See, if we believe that work is a gift and not a curse, the only way we can come to that understanding is by being with the gift giver. If we're not spending time with the gift giver, we're not going to see our work as a gift. If we're not having time with Jesus, we're not going to see the good in our work. We're only going to be able to see the curse. We're only going to be able to see the challenges and the pain points. If we want wisdom and how we're supposed to do the work, how we're supposed to respond in the situation, we're not going to find that wisdom if we don't spend time with Jesus. And so you might be trying to navigate a tricky situation, but if you are trying to do that day in and day out without having time to listen to the voice of God, how are you going to ever learn to navigate the problem? The perspective begins by resting and being with Jesus. If we believe our work is meant to be an act of worship, then don't we need to begin with the one we are worshiping? It's, in, it's only by knowing the one we're worshiping that we can actually make our work an act of worship. If we want our work to not be the source of worth, the only way we can do that is actually by knowing the one who declares who we are, who gives us our worth. We discover that by being with Jesus. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says it another way. He talks about our relationship with God and says, it's by grace you've been saved. He says, this isn't by works, so no, no one can brag about why you are in a relationship with God. No one can boast. It's a gift of God. It's as though he's saying, like you, can, like, you can know how good the work is that you have to do, but it's not about your goodness or badness that's going to get you there. It's not your job performance. It's not your volunteering. It's not your resume. None of that determines where you stand with God. It's by the grace of God that you've been saved. And then he says this incredible line. He says, we are God's workmanship. That God's the designer. God's made you. God's built you. And you are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The job that you're going to tomorrow, God already prepared you for it. The situation you're about to walk into that you don't know how to respond to, God already prepared you for it. God actually designed you for 
that work. And if God designed you and made you in his image, perhaps the best place we begin with knowing how to respond in our work tomorrow is by spending time with Jesus today. Perhaps the best place to have wisdom in what we do next in our work is by spending time listening to Jesus today. What if you use this season to better understand how Jesus sees you? To see how Jesus wants to use you, to see the good that Jesus wants to do in and through you. Here's what, here's what I want to challenge you to think about this week. I want, I want to challenge you to think about your work. And I want to give you a couple different equations for the relationship between work and rest to give you some type of insight, I think in all of these equations, we, we kind of cycle through all of them and they often build on one another and we bounce back between these. But I want to give these to you to be a grid for you to think about your own tendencies and temptations. And I want you to invite God to transform your way of thinking about work into a way that is healthy, a way that begins with the work of Jesus. The first equation is this, rest minus work is laziness. Now, for some of you, if, if we're honest, the problem isn't that we work too much. The problem is we just really don't want to. Or we don't want to do the work. And, and it's important the way that this perspective happens. And I'm not just talking just about, like, your job. And so, like, um, it can be volunteering. It can be um, being in a family. Like, all kinds of work. Um, but the, the reason that this equation happens, it happens when we believe work is bad. And maybe that's the, this specific work is bad or just in general we see that work is bad. And then the temptation though then becomes for us to live in a rhythm that doesn't include the work. And you could even say, well, I, you know, I just want to live my life in a way that's just resting. Like I just always want to spend time in the presence of Jesus. Like go to the beach, read a book, be with Jesus. Like that's the ideal scenario. The problem is if you spend time with Jesus, he's going to give you work to do. That is the way, from the very beginning, even before sin is ever parted, God gives work to his people to do. He gives them responsibility. He gives them a calling to love, love their neighbor. And so in some sense, as you could think, isn't that the goal? By being with Jesus, you will learn that God has called you to do good work. And by being with Jesus, he'll also lift the burdens, the, 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 the pain that you've experienced from work that maybe makes you not want to do it. He'll heal some of the woundedness that you have that, that is making you hesitant about doing the work. But the rhythm from the very beginning was both work and rest. It wasn't all rest. It wasn't all work. The next equation I want to highlight is this. Hustle greater than rest equals idolatry. See, others of you, you actually know that rest is important. So the problem isn't laziness. It's not that you just only want to be on the beach and read a book and take naps. Like that's not, maybe that's not for you. Like for many of you, like you know that rest matters. It's just not as important as the work. Like you know, you know rest is important. You just don't have time for it. Like there's too much to get done. And so like it's on the list. It's just really low on the list because there's, there's always one more thing. Like, it's just, just one more phone call, like, and then I can sit down for dinner. Just one more email. Or it's, have any of you ever said this? Like, it's just really, it's just a busy season right now. Like, anybody who's heard you say it's a busy season knows it's always a busy season. Right? Because there's always one more thing. And the problem with this, with this equation, is it can be really easy to explain away the problem. Because we, we believe that rest is important. 
It's just easy to forget. The irony, I think, even in my own life, is I can justify that, what, well, well, the things I'm doing are just really, they're important. Like, I got to do this. I got to meet with this person. We got to talk about this. Like, it's good. It's impactful. It, it matters. The problem is it can also be at the expense of my own soul. It can be at the expense of my relationship with my wife or my kids. Just recently, I was talking with my therapist about ministry and just the, some of the challenges. And he reminded me that it's the disciplines and practices that you put in place when things aren't hard that prepare you for when it is. If you're in a season where you don't feel, the, the, that, that you don't feel like work is falling apart, that you feel like things are good, you're ready, you're excited, I want to encourage you, this is the best opportunity for you to set healthy rhythms and habits that will prepare you for when it gets really hard. Because those disciplines that we can have, those disciplines of rest, the disciplines and practices of Sabbath and reading the scripture and spending time in prayer and listening to Jesus, those prepare you so that when things get difficult, that you have a foundation of a rhythm that allows you to sustain the good that you want to still do. Because not resting will actually prevent you from doing the thing that you actually think you really need to do. The last equation, which certainly can come tied to the last, is important. This is hustle minus rest equals burnout. Now the challenge with this last one is this often comes, and it's, and it's usually um, when a person doesn't rest, they will be forced to. That eventually, like you will work and you'll work and you'll work. You've taken rest entirely out of the equation. Eventually your body will let you know that it's time to stop. Or eventually, your spouse will let you know it's time to stop. And the deadly cycle is that when you hit this one, hustle minus rest equals burnout, is it very quickly will take you to rest minus work. And then you get trapped in this cycle of one leading to another. But where there is no rest, there will be burnout. And burnout doesn't happen just because of the number of hours. Burnout happens because you don't know who you are. You don't know where your worth comes from. And you are not spending time in the presence of Jesus. Because I promise you, if you are spending time with Jesus, he is going to correct those desires and those tendencies. And so the question then we must ask, so as Paul then says, let us not become weary of doing good. What is actually the solution? The solution actually comes in the words of Jesus. The way we don't become weary of doing good is actually in rest. It's in being with Jesus. And that's exactly what we experience from Jesus when Jesus himself says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest. Rest is the solution because of the promise of Jesus. Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me with the burdens you have of the, of the way you're trying to love, the way you're trying to work, the way you're trying to cope with your own failures, the way you, the, you're regretting the sin and your inability to put things in their proper places. He says, come to me. Bring that all to me. Come to me. You're, you, you are getting weary in the good you're trying to do. Bring that to me. He says, I will give you rest. Jesus loves to lift those burdens and he invites you to give those to him. And when Jesus takes those burdens, it then gives you the strength to do the good that Jesus is inviting you to do. 
As we close, I want to take a moment just to pray over you, to pray over you and your burdens. This passage of Jesus, come to me all who are weary and heavy burden. This is one that I love to just picture in my mind, to use, to let the Holy Spirit guide my imagination and just picture what, what are the things I'm carrying and then, to, and then to just give those to Jesus. So I wanna invite you to do that as we pray, to come to Jesus, to ask Jesus to give you rest. Jesus, we come to you knowing that work is hard, that life is hard. And we come to you knowing the words of your promise that you tell us to come to you and all the heaviness and weariness of life to come to you and you will give to us rest. And Jesus, as we think about these things, as we think about the challenges, our own tendencies and the own equations that we live by, Jesus, we pray that you would correct those. Jesus, we pray that you would forgive us for when we don't prioritize rest in our relationship with you. Jesus, we pray that in these moments, as we think about the work that we go into tomorrow, this week, this month, just would you bring to mind the burdens that we carry in the work you call us to do? Jesus, who do we carry burdens for? Jesus, what is it that we are burdened by? Just what is it that feels heavy right now? And with whatever comes to your mind, this is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind the things that are heavy in your life. I invite you just picture yourself giving those to Jesus. Jesus, would you show us what you do with our burdens? And whatever your situation, and whatever the challenges and the pain of work, and whatever your sins and regrets, may you know that Jesus loves to lift your burdens. May you know that when Jesus invites you to come to him in your weariness, that he gives you a rest. And may that rest give to you a new life in the work you do. May that rest give you a fresh fire into the places that he has called you to do. May he send you with love. May he transform you for the good of the people around you. And may he remind you of who you truly are. Amen.